Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Excited about this episode, excited about this continuing series where I am talking to reparationist candidates. Uh, it's it's, it's an important time politically. It's an important time, you know, when we talk about black America. And so I'm glad to have a gentleman who is a candidate uh, for the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina. So glad to have on the podcast with us today, Greg Marcel Dixon. Marcel, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Ken. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you. I I would encourage everyone to go to Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L 4 F-O-R Congress dot com. It's a great comprehensive um, understanding of this brother's campaign. You'll learn about, you know, his history. Uh, look out. We were just talking uh, before we got on the air uh, about us both being two state kids, you know, between uh, South Carolina and Georgia. Um, and that is the boat that Brother Dixon is in as well. But again, we want to talk about reparations and not just reparations. But reparations now, just talk about the importance of that and, and how that is so um, significant and pivotal in your campaign. Well, every this is a country that has done reparations before. I want to be very clear about that. They've done it for several Native American tribes. They've done it for Japanese Americans that were interned. They did it for Holocaust survivors, even though the only role we played in Holocaust was stopping it. My great-grandfather, a World War II vet, still alive, helped to stop the Holocaust, only to come back to America and see the white veterans alongside whom he fought get trillions of dollars from the GI Bill that allowed them to buy homes, land, open businesses, go to school for free, get a pension, get health care, only for him not to get a dime. This country is doing reparations right now for people of Guam. They just extended the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. So anyone who was made sick by radiation exposure, they can get reparations or a surviving beneficiary if they are deceased. So this country has done reparations before. I get really sick and tired of us, black Americans, acting like reparations are some pie in the sky type thing. It's only a pie in the sky because we lost something our ancestors had, and that was a, a, the spirit to fight for what we are owed. I am trying to make sure I manifest that spirit in my life. All the issues we have goes back to chattel slavery and how we didn't get a penny from the trillions of wealth that we were supposed to inherit. Then you had Jim Crow, redlining. We were able to buy 60 million acres of land, and we've had 15 million acres of it stolen. We own 1 million acres of land. We built Black Wall Street just to see them burnt to the ground and all the wealth gone with it. We are still going through those things now. So we have to do what every other group does, demand we get paid what this federal government, not any American citizen, but what the federal government owes us. So I have other policies, but reparations is the centerpiece of my policy. That's amazing. You, you talked about spirit. I want to talk about spirit yielding political imagination, because as much as it's a it's a will, it's also about expanding our minds to 
more of us than, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think of the majority of black Americans want reparations. It's just an issue of, well, I don't think we'll get it. Talk about the expansion of, of our political imagination and, and through spirit, as you alluded to. We have to manifest, I'm going to go back to it again, the spirit of our ancestors. South Carolina, if you are a South Carolinian, a black South Carolinian for generational, like I am and Ken, it seems like you are as well, I'm at least a seventh generation Gullah Geechee. My family roots go right here on the coast of South Carolina, a little bit of Georgetown County, a little bit of Charleston County, but mainly Beaufort County and now Jasper County. Jasper County didn't exist until the early 1900s. It was mainly Beaufort County, but whatever. Um, all the way back to the mid-1700s when this area was called St. Luke's Parish, when it was called Prince William's Parish, okay? they We had the most slave revolts in South Carolina than any other state. We had the biggest slave revolts than any other state. Why? Because our ancestors were determined to be free. They were told they never would. And now, even though we still have problems, we are free. During the civil rights era, we were told we will never have legislative equality. And even though we know we still don't have equity, because people want to talk about equality, I'm focusing on equity. Even though we still don't have equity, on paper, we do. And we were told that would never happen, that Jim Crow and redlining would never fall, and they did. Here we are. This is our generation's battle, reparations. It is embarrassing for anyone of our generation to say we ain't never going to get reparations. Well, I know we deserve it. We ain't going to get it. You are being an embarrassment to your ancestor. You might as well take down your pants and piss on their graves. You are embarrassing them by manifesting a spirit of cowardice instead of the spirit of the greatest warriors that have ever lived. My man. Look, I'm getting chills, man, because that's look, that's the energy we need as a as a people, as a community, as a generation. Most certainly, man, I (laughs) thank you for that, man. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a candidate who's willing to run on that with that type of energy. I want people to understand as well. You are a reparationist candidate. That is, the, as you mentioned, the centerpiece of your campaign. You're also a candidate with diversity of thought and diversity of policy. I want to talk about the fact that you are um, challenging uh, legal immigration. You are uh, committing to protecting um, our Second Amendment, uh, Second Amendment rights as Americans. Talk about that and why those are important uh, cornerstones to your campaign as well. Illegal immigration, even legal immigration, really, it's been shown for centuries from Frederick Dulles to Booker T. Washington to um, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer to Dr. Martha, uh, to um, Dr. Coretta Scott King, Barbara Jordan, that immigration, legal or illegal, hurts black Americans the most. It should be common sense. We have always had the least amount of resources. That's not the fault of immigrants, but that's the fault of the government. But the fact of the matter is when you have a small amount of resources already and you bring in a whole other group of people who are usually going to come into the bottom, especially if they're here illegally, and they are now going to compete with you for those small bit of resources. And we know, historically speaking, whenever immigrants came to this country, like in the days of Jim Crow, black Americans would get jobs in the factory, would do good, would, would, would organize labor unions to make sure they got fair pay. The moment immigrants from Ireland and Italy would come, they would fire black Americans and give it to the not as black or the whiter immigrants. A lot of times, some of the, the worst race, the worst riot in American history was done 
by Irish men who were being cowards, who outnumbered the black men in a certain area because they didn't want to fight for the United States of America. That's why I say the best, the most patriotic American has always been a black American. They did the draft riots, okay? Then there were riots in other states that were usually done at the hands of immigrants. In California, we got these Latino gang members who are running black Americans out of neighborhoods where black Americans used to be the majority. But because most black Americans have moved back south in California, these immigrants are now showing their true colors and running our people out of neighborhoods that they built up and sustained. But it's not even just that, because those are usually extreme cases. Most Hispanic immigrants are not you know, trying to run out black Americans out of their communities. The thing is, though, one study shows that the higher the level of immigration, the higher of level for black American unemployment, the lower our wages, sometimes as low as 80 percent. OK, the higher the rate of black mass incarceration, the lower rate of black marriages, because black American men do a lot of the same jobs that a lot of illegal immigrants do. Carpentry, roofing, flooring, heating and air, electrical work, lawn maintenance. And it was shown by a study by Center for American Progress that 40%, nearly 40% of jobs in construction, those industries I just named, are now illegal immigrants. Who are they replacing? Black Americans. And before you want to try to say that lie that they're doing work that no one else wants to do, it don't matter if we want to do it or not. The fact of the matter is every time ICE has actually come and arrested illegal immigrants for being in the country illegally, the next day it was black Americans there doing those jobs, demanding fair pay like they have a right to do, demanding safety protocol be followed like they have a right to do. So it is a fact that black Americans will gladly do the job that we have always done, construction, electrical work. But you know, illegal immigration is not just a competition for jobs, but affordable quality housing. The school class sizes soar, okay? Hospitals become crowded. All of those things are funded by tax dollars, which a lot of illegal immigrants do not pay. So it is a harm to our community in so many ways you will have to give me another two hours or so to go through it all. <laughs> I, I do want to incorporate this because you've painted just such a and just an insightful picture of, you know, the the effect of illegal immigration. But I think that has become so painfully apparent, um, not to not just to black Americans, but to all Americans. When we look at how much money um, has been invested by this country into the Ukraine. Can you talk about that just from that that similar perspective of, of immigration and, and the ramifications? Because we see that is coming. So, yeah, look at what happened in Afghanistan. The U.S. quickly rolled out the red carpet for Afghani refugees. They're going to give them homes, jobs, health care, transportation, and food. They're bringing over at least 100,000 Ukrainians. That's where they're starting. We know they're going to do more. Giving them home, jobs, transportation, food, Free shelter. Oh my God. Okay, yeah, college. That's right. Free tuition. Black Americans enroll in college, even though we have far less wealth than white Americans, the average white American family has wealth around $200,000. For a black American family, $24,000. And even more frightening, while everyone else's wealth is increasing, our wealth is going down, even though we are graduating from college and we are ha making more money than we ever had, our wealth is going down because income is not wealth. Yet, 
illegal immigrants will come here and be given a home, be given property and property, land, which is wealth. So it, it actually it, it illustrates the fact that this country can definitely do reparations for us because they gladly do uh, pour money into all these other groups. Ukraine has received billions of dollars in direct aid. If you add in military equipment, trillions of dollars. We spent $20 billion a month on the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. There were trillions of dollars spent in making the vaccines, distributing the vaccines, stimulus checks that were sent out, bailing out the airline industry, bailing out the cruise industry, bailing out the automobile industry, bailing out the airline industry, bailing out the banking industry, PPP loans, trillions of dollars for businesses to stay open, which they will probably never have to pay back. Unemployment doubled from $300 to $600 a week. Okay? Never have to pay back. This show, and this was done during the time when Donald Trump had cut taxes to his lowest rate ever in American history. We are still under that tax rate. So if America can do all of that while we was to the lowest rate of tax in history, why is it that they cannot do reparations, but they gladly do it? For these other groups, we spend $60 million a, uh, a day housing illegal immigrants in border facilities. <clears throat> That's not even including the money we spent in having to upgrade infrastructure and schools and housing and money that we lose in taxes that they don't pay back at the state level. So it definitely harms us. Then these groups come here and they demand resources. Right now, there's a bill and Congress called the New Deal for New Americans. That infuriates the hell out of me. You don't have any right to be doing New Deal for New Americans when you ain't never given a good deal to black Americans. But this New Deal for New Americans will give 20 million illegal immigrants protected class status where they will not be able to be deported for being in our country illegally for up to 20 years. It will give them house, it will give them federal resources and housing and education in healthcare. Black Americans, even outside of reparation, were 15 to 20% of the population, but over 55% of the homeless. But they want to give them federal resources and housing. When it comes to education, the schools, the blacker the school, the less likely that school is to offer needed courses to be college and career ready. But they're giving them resources and education. When it comes to health care, black Americans are the most likely to be victims of malpractice, most likely to have their arms and legs chopped off for avoidable health care reasons. Black women are the most likely to die just giving birth to a child, more likely than five times likely to die than a white woman, more likely to die than poor women in countries like Mexico and the Philippines. But they want to give them resources and health care. How we are not furious right now and out in the street and knocking on the door with pitchforks and torches, I don't understand. We'll return to making a difference after these messages. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. 
Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. Long live St. James. Man, listen, I, I'm i in the second congressional district. How we are not furious, I don't get it. Look, I, I'm in the second congressional district. And look, I'm never going to claim Joe Wilson. But brother, you are my congressman. <laughs> Marcel Dixon is my congressman, for sure. I, I mean, look, I, I hear people talking, you know, particularly politicians. You know, everybody's stuttering and talking over themselves and, and, and tripping over their speech. This brother is clear. This brother is concise. This brother is powerful, man. Oh, my God. And we haven't even talked a second about the Second Amendment. Can you talk about your views on the Second Amendment? I believe instead of gun control, we need to control the guns, meaning we need to control to whom the guns get to. Like, for example, first of all, let me be very clear. What happened in Buffalo was not a gun control issue. It was an act of anti-blackness. It was an anti-black issue. It was a hate evil issue. But now I do have gun legislation on my platform and I tend not to get too much support from either side. One side wants everyone to get guns, guns everywhere, guns, guns, guns. The other side feels that if you don't take guns from everyone, you're not doing enough. I am not going to pivot or pander to any side. I'm going to stand my ground and what the data shows. Data shows that safe storage laws, meaning if you are have you have a home and you have a child in that home, your gun should be inaccessible to that child. That has been shown to save lives because a lot of times what we're not talking about is that, yes, we definitely have an issue with gun violence in this nation. But over 50 percent of gun deaths are suicides. Wow. So there is a mental health component as well. So a part of my plan, but I know we haven't talked about my platform too, but one part of my platform is making health care available to everyone. But making sure that when we say health care, we're not just talking about physical health. We're talking about mental and emotional health, because the fact is that almost never gets talked about. That almost 60 percent every single year of gun deaths are suicides. Not people shooting and killing one another, but people shooting themselves. The majority of gun deaths are suicide. So we definitely focus on mental health, um, uh, mental health and emotional health. So safe storage, mental health. I also believe in safe gun technology. And before the, I had someone, I don't know, some black gun club in Columbia talk about something that would impoverish the average man. He didn't even bother to ask how I would fund this because he's probably a Clyburn supporter. He probably had his mind made up. Well, first of all, if you love guns so much, you support Clyburn, you're dumb as hell because Clyburn has, has never met a gun legislation he hasn't loved. He will be completely content with guns besides a, right, a rifle being taken from everyone. And maybe he'll take the rifle too. I plan to have safe gun technology installed on all of guns. Most people think, well, what if somebody's attacking me and my wife or son grabs the gun and saves me? Unfortunately, that's not what the data shows. The data shows that when you are under attack, 
if someone gets your gun, it's usually to be used against you. Your gun is most likely to be used against you than to be used by someone else for you. So safe gun technology will work very much the way our cell phone works. The same way we use our fingerprint, that's just our cell phone, our fingerprint to use the gun. Think James Bond. They had that in one of the James Bond movies. The gun will only work when he grabbed it. I plan to make that free of charge to all gun owners. We want people to help and work with us when it comes to controlling guns we need to work with people i plan i believe in a, a national registry this is one that a lot of people don't like but it is what it is look here if you buy a gun you have to register that gun and you should be responsible for who and whose hand that gun ends up Common responsibility gun, i bet you if you saw that you wouldn't have issues of a 17 year old grabbing their parents gun and shooting a bunch of people i bet you they'll be more responsible no they could be in jail too another thing i have with guns though my thing is camp Okay, look, we already have people that fall through the cracks now. Like, how is it that some violent, awful people get their hands on guns? Imagine if we devoted all the manpower and resources it would take to confiscate just these so-called assault weapons. Imagine all the manpower that would take. Imagine how many people will fall through the cracks because we're busy going after guns instead of going after the evil people. So my platform is one of saying, look, America is an open and free society. Yeah, I know we could talk about that one a lot. But let's just say America is an open and free society. I was in Kenya, beautiful country. Every time I went in a mall, a movie theater, the beach, wherever we went, they packed you down, they scanned your car, checked your bags everywhere. And let me tell you, it worked. There were no major terrorist attacks. There haven't been any major terrorist attacks in the areas outside of the extreme north by Somalia since then. I don't think that will work in America. I don't think a lot of Americans will like that. Everywhere we went, being patted down, scanned for bombs, scanned for weapons. If we don't want that, then we got to scan something else. A lot of times when these mass shootings happen, these people, you won't even call them that, they usually write and communicate what they were planning to do. Like that scumbag in Buffalo, that bucket of scum. He wrote a whole manifesto. How he was allowed to get away with that, I don't know. But those social media platforms need to be held accountable. Absolutely. I plan to want to introduce a screening measure where we can screen communication, phones, calls, whatever. And if there are certain um, algorithms that can detect when a person is planning an act of mass violence, it ain't the gun. It's the wicked people who get their hands on weapons that can cause a lot of destruction. My thing with guns is even if we try to like ban assault weapons, we already tried that with prohibition. And all prohibition did when we tried to keep alcohol out the country, it led to the Irish mafia, the Italian mafia, and the French mafia becoming extremely powerful because they were able to smuggle in alcohol and got filthy rich and they're still powerful to this day. I don't want to make smugglers and mafias and gangs powerful by giving them a market to which they can smuggle something in. I want to be able to control the two. And one of the main things with guns is stop going after the guns and go after the people. Man, I want to ask you this just from an ancestral perspective, because I think this is something that black folks has gotten away from, have gotten away from is that we are people. Yeah, we need guns. Who are, who, look, a, a people of armed self-defense, because we understood that armed self-defense helped uphold the laws that were being, you know, as, as we fought for progress and legislation. Hey, guns help uphold that. Um, for self-protection and also the protection of laws. Just how can we get back to that as a, as a community of people? A lot of black Americans are armed. Um, I think a lot of us probably do what they call gold sales, which is something I want to get rid of, where you could just like buy a gun, 
from like your friend and because it's like sold and broke of their car, they don't have to register it. I, a lot of us are armed, but I always say if any group in America needs to be armed and has a historical social reason to always want to be armed, well-armed and well-trained, I can't say I'm the most well-trained, but I sure I got 86% of my shots landed when I went and did my concealed weapon uh, carry permit course is black Americans. We, if anybody looks at gun legislation in this country, the history, it was always to make sure black Americans were not armed. One of the few times the NRA, or the only time I believe the National Rifle Association has ever agreed with to do something to limit um, the, uh, the, the, the brandishing of weapons was when the Black Panthers were in front of the California State House in Sacramento because they wanted to make sure that a black person was being treated fairly. That was the one time the National Rifle Association agreed with limiting access to guns. It's always been about keeping guns out of the hands of black Americans. When this country doesn't want us to have something, we definitely need to make sure we're going there, buying it out. For sure. Look, another reason to dislike Ronald Reagan, by the way, just want to tack that on there. Uh, before we look, before we talk about your opponent, um, I did want to give you a chance to um, just briefly talk about your campaign. It's it's a rich and robust campaign. I know you wanted to mention that um, to the listening audience. Well, my campaign has been going well. I've even gotten support from you know Clyburn's uh, family physicians <laughs> because they it's not they're they're voting the way we should vote. Too many of us want to vote. Oh, I like him. He's my friend. Or he went to church with my dad. Nobody cares about all of that. We're the only group that votes because, oh, he's older and he's black and he's been there for a long time. That's the problem. You've been there for a long time. Look how bad things are here. You're supposed to vote on someone's policies. Clyburn's family physicians are supporting me because they like my policies. They believe that I'm going to fight hard and implement policies. They see my policies are going to help people, especially black people who are in need of the most help. So my policy, you already talked about my reparations plan, direct monetary payments, bringing back the Freedmen's Bureau, an agency of the government whose sole purpose was to make sure that black Americans were getting treated fairly and equitably in housing, health care, jobs, wages, access to food. They're going to help us get it and make sure we get them bringing that back, you know, uh, helping us to be compensated for the land we have lost, incentivizing us moving back to the South. So we can live amongst each other again, bringing back our black communities and also bring us getting us back to farming. OK, providing funds to get us back to farming, get us compensated for our land. My education plan. I can't go through all the details, but I will say one plan of this to make sure that all school districts are equitably funded. It shouldn't be you grew up in a poor county like I did in Jasper County, where I still am. And I still teach your property tax revenue is low. So therefore, you don't have resources. But if you were in a wealthier county like Beaufort County, especially the southern part like Bluffton, where you're by me, your uh, property tax revenue is high. So as a result, your school is better funded. It shouldn't be that way. We should set up a state standard for each state that every school can get so a kid can get a high quality education, at least in regards to funding. And if a district cannot meet that funding from the property taxes, we, the federal government, will close the gap by providing that funding. There should not be an inequity, and they can provide teachers more, at least sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars starting salary. Paraprofessionals, bus drivers, receptionists, janitors, cafeteria employees. A school is a function of many people. They can provide more child psychologists, 
more social workers, not to go there and try to take a black family's child, but to provide them with the support and resources needed so that child can stay at home if it will be deemed safe. Is this an extreme situation? Yes. The child has to be removed. I have my transportation program. If you live in a rural area like I do in Jasper County, and black Americans are the most likely to be without a car, you need a vehicle. Some people literally live in the woods. They have to catch a ride to go here to the doctor, to the grocery store, shopping for clothes, to a parent-teacher conference, to, um, you know, go to a dentist appointment, everything. And if they don't get that, they can't go to those essential things. But if they just want to go out and have a good time, they can't do that either. Their lives are literally stuck at their home because they don't have a vehicle. I'm going to introduce a car buyer assistance and a car maintenance assistance program. And my thriving communities program is things like making sure that health care is available free of charge to everyone, quality health care, physical, mental, emotional, a livable wage, making sure that I have the Department of Social Services. We increase social workers' pay so that they can help work with families. Writing federal grants for black communities and other communities, too, obviously, that may have the trouble so that the people there can start nonprofits and be able to pay people in their community to help solve the issues in their community, but also solve those issues and get them a nice line of employment. Um, investing and in, uh, getting rid of abandoned buildings, making them places where businesses and homes can be, providing good street lighting providing nice park space for people to act as a community for black American communities, having us have our own police system and our own judicial system, the same way they do for native Americans. So those right there are just some are just of my platform. We'll return to making a difference after these messages. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to making a difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8. William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. It's the West Coast diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Again, a great platform. You can go to Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L-F-O-R, congress.com to read more about that. Want to ask you about your opponent, Fish fries, we've heard about. He's a so-called kingmaker, big pharma. A lot of folks know him by name. Look, I, he's done some some crazy things. Look, I, I saw them taking the knee with the dashikis. A lot of stuff I've been very dissatisfied with. Just want to ask you about uh, just your take on I've, not just him as, as being your opponent, but what his presence has meant for black Americans um, over an extended period of time, not just in his district, but abroad. You know, that's our problem. We see a black face. And we think we're still living in the you know the Jim Crow era. So we see a black face and we think that a black face, because we were once upon a time kept out of so many places, we see a black face who talks well and tells us how great they've been, but we don't bother to research it and we get all excited and want to support them. That don't fly with me. Here's what his here's what his presence has meant for black America. While in office, black Americans have continued to lose land. 
15 million acres of 16 million acres of property. Is it all his fault? No. Has he written any legislation to do something about it? No, he has not. He did write legislation, though, to help some Catawba Native Americans get land, and they used to enslave us. He wrote a bill to get them 20 acres of land. Find me a bill he's written to help at least the Gullah Geechee people, us, get our coastal land back or get paid for it. We have to drive past hotels and golf courses and resorts where a land we used to own. He's done nothing about it, okay? So we are almost a landless people. 15 to 20% of the population, black Americans are over 55% of the homeless. That's something that we are over 55% of homeless. Has he written anything specifically to deal with black poverty? No, he has not. Black Americans now own less homes than we did during Jim Crow. So my great-grandmother, grandmother, and mother, who were all born when Jim Crow, where it was legal to discriminate against us, they actually had a better chance of becoming a homeowner and own more homes then than we do now in so-called equal America, okay? Black American kids ages 5 to 12 have the highest suicide rates. Black Americans have never committed suicide more than white Americans. But for the first time in history, ages 5 to 12 in that age group, black Americans outnumber white kids who are committing suicide, and the numbers are going up. Black uh, In Highburns District, North Charleston, okay, Florence, which is not his district, but you know what? He's a national figure. Um, Sumter, his hometown. Doesn't have clean water. North Charleston has some of the most toxic water in the country. Okay? It's number one or number two. Sumter, toxic water. Denmark, South Carolina, doesn't have clean water at all. Hasn't had it in 10 years. And the people, there was one lady said she's been telling them for 10 years the water was poisoned. Clyburn did nothing. And they want to act all surprised when Bernie Sanders, white Bernie Sanders from Vermont, packed up an 18-wheeler truck and bought pallets of water to his black people in Denmark so they could have water to drink and wish to bathe, okay? Florence, South Carolina. Churches there have to put solar panels on the roofs so that they can get a filter and be able to drink the water, okay? Black Americans are the most likely to go to bed hungry. In Clyburn's district in Columbia, more black Americans there get their legs and arms chopped off than almost any other place in the United States of America because they don't have access to good food. They don't have access to hospitals and doctors. On Clyburn's watch, black Americans' wealth, we're heading to having zero wealth. That was before COVID. COVID came along and wiped out 50% of black businesses, so we might already be there. Has Clyburn written a bill to help with black businesses get um, no damn loans, but grants. Has he done anything to specifically about black wealth going down? No, he has not. So what has his legacy been? It's been with a failure. No, it hasn't even been failure. Failure would imply that he's tried. If he had actually tried and failed, you could give him credit for trying. He hasn't even tried. He is quick to stand up for every other group, but not for us. I could play you messages if I speak to his doctors who, when I went and met them, of older people calling them crying, saying they don't have no money, saying that they just tired of life. They have no one to call. He's not there. I was at the state convention Saturday, and a lady, Mrs. McGill, came to me with tears in her eyes, saying her roof is collapsing. She has water all in her house. Went to Clyburn's team and told them that they had the nerve to have attitude because I was making them finally do something for black people. They're going to tell me they spoke to her, but when I found Ms. McGill, she didn't know they had it. And if Clyburn wants to deny it, 
If his team wants to challenge me, I have witnesses that were there. Okay? One's a councilwoman in Chester. So try me if they want to tell me that I'm lying. I asked her, did they speak to you? She's like, no. And I looked at Rashawn, an awesome guy who helps me out, my campaign out. And he was like, I said, Ron, you see anything? I see it. I said, they sat right there, told us they had spoken to the lady. So people can sit there. They want to get caught up in emotions and a symbol. That's our problem. That we want symbols. Ooh, a black man in, the, in Congress. Ooh, a black woman in the Supreme Court. I don't care if you're black. I want to know if your policies are black. That's what I want to know. Man, I, this is a race with national ramifications. I hope people understand. I know some of y'all who are going to be listening to this. Uh, obviously, a lot of you who will be listening to this will be in the 6th Congressional District. But I know folks you know, uh, in surrounding states and surrounding areas, I want you to understand that this is a significant race. And I really want everybody to spread a word about this. Marcel, I'm, I'm so grateful um, that you came on and just really just spoke truth to power. You know, we, we use these terms and, you know, they, they become... Uh, almost empty in a way, but I just think that the things that you said today have been so relevant on a number of different issues. And I tell you what, man, I look forward to speaking with you in the future. And my brother, wish you all the best, man. The election is tomorrow. Yes, it is tomorrow. And I need people to tell their relatives we have an opportunity. People, and Ken, I'm going to end with this. People like to make excuses for Clyburn, Congressman Clyburn. They like to say, it's the Republicans. First of all, when he signed up for this job, he knew South Carolina was a quote-unquote red state. Second of all, South Carolina is not a quote-unquote red state. The only reason the Republicans have control of South Carolina because the Democrats have failed to give black voters a reason to want to come out and vote. Because South Carolina is a very black state. Come on, Marcy. You know, the census, the, the census says that we're 28 to 30 percent. We know most black Americans don't fill out that census. And the census doesn't even come to black communities in the inner city. And they don't come to the rural areas either. I'm in Jasper County. They always have a hard time getting to everyone in Jasper County. They don't. OK, so South Carolina is probably 30 to 40 percent black. If the Democrats would give black people a reason to come out and vote, we will. This state will be at least purple. But all they want to do is say what your ancestors died for. Don't tell me what my ancestors died for. Tell me what they lived for. OK, tell me about the land, the homes, the good schools, the communities they want to keep. Tell me what they live for. So another, I also want to say people want to tell me how bad things are and say it's the Republicans fault. But then they want to give Clyburn credit for good things. Okay, if he could take credit for the good, then he has to be responsible for the bad. You can't have it both ways. So we have a choice tomorrow. If we put Clyburn back in office, we deserve everything we get. Don't go crying to the news about your dirty water, about the gun violence, about the bad schools, about your land being stolen, about your arms getting chopped off. Don't you dare complain because you had a chance to make a change. So you either gonna make an excuse for him, or you gonna make a change with me. So thank you, Ken, and I'm and I'm not I'm not walking around my head down either about it. No, man. That, listen, that's that's the long and the short of it. I'm here in Aiken County. I'll say this very briefly. We have a Democratic Party that won't even put candidates on the ticket. You have Republicans who just run unopposed, and it's the absolute worst thing. But man, li listen, Black America, America. National race here, so important. Glad to have Marcel Dixon on the podcast today. Thank you, my brother, and peace to you. Thank you for having me, Karen. Take care. When you listen to Making a Difference, you're listening to independent black media, and we need your support now more than ever. When it comes to Making a Difference, there are a lot of different ways that you can show love to what we're doing here. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash making, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N.
You can also support us financially through both Cash App and Patreon. Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Making a Difference Show. You can also support us on Cash App at dollar sign Making a Difference Show. Thank you in advance for your support, and I love you so much. Peace. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.